Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seize Your Midlife. I am so excited that you are here today. And I'm especially excited because we're doing something really unique. We are flipping the mic, and my friend Laura is here to interview me. So this is something totally different. And you guys might remember Laura. She was the woman that I interviewed in the episode called Mommy Wine Culture. To date, that is the most downloaded episode by far. So if you haven't listened to it, definitely go and listen to it. And Laura is my friend from my high school in Illinois before we moved. So that's the last time I saw Laura was when I was 17 years old. So even though I recorded that episode called Social Media Bites, there are some good things about social media, and one of them is leading me back to be connected with Laura. But with no further ado, let's just dive in and do this. So welcome to the show, Laura. Hi. How are you, Bree? Oh my gosh, good. I'm kind of like, okay, I'm ready for it. I have nothing written down. I've just got my coffee. <laughs> okay. So, Bree, I have to start with the question that's always asked on Seize Your Midlife, and that is, how old are you? I am 46. And where are you right now, Bree? Um, I am in my little office in Tika K, South Carolina. Okay. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory. As you mentioned, we knew each other in high school, but there is so much more to your childhood. Yeah, definitely. And I think you you and I briefly kind of talked about this. I think probably what the world saw of me and what was really happening behind the scenes is probably pretty like there's probably a big difference between that. I actually grew up pretty poor. For a lot of my childhood, my mom was a single mom going back to college, going back to get her master's degree, working jobs, cleaning the apartment buildings that we lived in. You know, we were on food stamps for a time. You know, there were some very trying things from my childhood. In fact, when you and I knew each other, you know, my my stepdad had come into the picture and we had a little more money, but still not very much. And I would have him park like a block away from school because um, those of you who don't know, Bennett Academy is kind of a fancy school. And yes. so I'd be like, yes, park far away. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I but I think – 
you know, despite all of that, there are some really good things that came out of my childhood for sure. And it sounds like specifically that apartment complex where you live was very key to some of the entrepreneurial characteristics that you have today. Absolutely. It's so funny. That place, like anyone that lived there during that time, there were so many of us that were the same age that lived there. We call it the AV. And it was like a little family. And so there were a million great things that came out of living there. But definitely one of them was this kind of prompting me to become an entrepreneur. So we had a pool at the apartment complex, but there was no concession stands. So I would make popcorn and pink lemonade <laughs> and salad at the pool. Um, and I even dressed up like a gypsy and told fortunes at the playground. <laughs> I delivered newsletters, like whatever it was. I mean, the one good thing about being poor is it makes you really scrappy. And mm-hmm. I was very scrappy. And also because of the way that that community was. It really fostered that in me to become a mini, a mini entrepreneur. And I actually wore a blazer to kindergarten. And I like, (laughs) every time I see that picture again, I'm like, see, there you go. Boss girl right there. (laughs) Total boss lady. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Oh my goodness. Brown corduroy. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so here you are and you you have this very set identity. And even if I think back to you in high school, your world was so in order. I mean, you were always together and, you know, you had a great set of friends. And I remember going to a birthday party at the clubhouse at the apartment and it was like the coolest birthday party and everybody wanted to be invited. And there was a DJ and it was so awesome. And, and it just seemed like everything was, like I said, in order. And then one day when you were 17, you got some news that was going to change the trajectory of everything. Yeah. So um, it's funny that you say that about the party because I still have a copy. We like Katie Costa and I handed out flyers and it was called like Rita and Katie's 16th like booty shaking or something like that. And yeah, my aunt and uncle played. Um, They were like the the bouncers at yes. the door. We were on the list or oh, whatever. But that was, that was the, the party. apartment complex. Yes. Like it was the apartment complex. So even though it again, it appeared fancy, we were not fancy. But yeah, 17, my stepdad got a job in Wisconsin. So it was literally February. So Valentine's weekend, we were set to move to Wisconsin. So middle of my junior year. And um, my mom was actually pregnant at the time. And um, my little sister would be born in April. So that was a really crazy, like middle of Midwest winter, middle of junior year, you know, welcoming a a baby. Like there was a lot going on at that time. Yes. So you moved to Wisconsin and tell me a little bit about that change, what that was like then living there. Yeah. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I have a love affair with Wisconsin. Like I love it. I was meant to be there. Like everything, the cheese curds, like the parties in people's garages, like the broads, there are no words to describe how much I love Wisconsin. I love, love, love Wisconsin. And all the Wisconsinismas, I don't know how you say it, but like my favorite like example of like 
that's so Wisconsin is we were at this parade in the small town where we had our little lake condo Mm -hmm. and um, (laughs) there was a float with a grill and people making brats. And oh so, my like, gosh. we're, like, my, having my sister, like, <laughs> friend on the street and, like, collect brats for our group. And I'm, like, God, oh, I, I love, love Wisconsin. It. Oh, yes. my gosh. That's so funny. Yes. But it was also there that I met, like, BFFs who are still my BFFs. Um, so it was really – it was – you know, even though you would think like, oh my God, 17-year-old girl, moving states, starting yes. over, new school, all the things. It was so – it was actually fantastic. Oh, gosh. Okay. So high school wraps up and of course, mm-hmm. just like every graduating high schooler, you're faced with the decision of college or what what is next for you. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing when I think about college and just like where this trajectory ended up taking me because one thing that also being poor affects is like your world is small. Mm. So, you know, we never went on spring breaks. We never like, you know, traveled. We barely left DuPage County, to be honest, until my stepdad came in the picture and we started actually coming down to South Carolina. Mm. But my world was very small. And so college was all of a sudden like, Ooh, you know, mm-hmm. where am I going to go? And so I first, I had literally, and anyone that knows me from even those AV times, I used to draw pictures of jeans and I called them free jeans. And I was like, someday you're going to be wearing free jeans. (laughs) So I found this program where you could get a dual degree program with the Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan Okay, at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Okay. So that's where I ended up going. Ohio. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Like fashion mecca. (laughs) Yeah. And so from there, what – obviously, there's a change that happens here. What happened? How did you break up with fashion, Brie? Tell us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's just like one of those funny stories where like life pushes you the away from what you're not meant to be doing. And this was an example. So here's eager me with my little drawings of clothes. And the first class you have to take in fashion is clothing design and construction. Mm-hmm. And I somehow missed the and construction piece, <laughs> which means you have to like sew the clothes. Mm-hmm. And everyone in my class were 4-H'ers because, you know, it's Ohio and everyone's in 4-H. And they could literally whip out a skirt in like 15 minutes. And I would be in like the sewing lab literally like sweating bullets at like 10 (laughs) o'clock at night, like strings and whatever. And so I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this. So I go to drop out of the class. And I remember distinctly the teacher was like, oh, we're going to miss you. You really left us in stitches. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. But again, those things, I feel like there's so many moments in life where you're like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And then, oops, nope, that's not. But there's a reason why that happened. Right. There was absolutely a reason why that happened to me. I was not meant to be a fashion designer. No. Sometimes finding your way means finding all the wrong ways first. Oh, gosh, 100%. I'm an expert in that. Yeah. I'm a PhD in that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm in the same lane as you. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So from there, you wind up going back to Wisconsin. And your mom at that time has some opportunities open up because I seem to remember she got a job teaching at a college. 
Yeah. So this kind of like really shifted like everything for me because my mom got a job as a professor at a private school in Wisconsin. Yes. Which is kind of crazy because she had dropped out of college junior year um, to marry, you know, my biological dad. And um, so I was able to see her graduate, you know, master's degree. Yeah. And so she gets a job as a professor and there is this list. We called it the list Uh, of all these colleges that I could go to uh, for free. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 320. (laughs) And so like set down the path of like what would become a total of six colleges with Bowling Green in there that I end up attending. uh, And like, it's so funny because I feel like I'm still this person, but I, we have this big, fat college book. Mm. And I kept it under my bed and I would like read about all the colleges. And my little sister, who was a toddler at the time, I would be like, point to the one that you think I should go to. Point to the one. (laughs) And um, I still want somebody to be like, okay, point to what I should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Point to it. (laughs) Exactly. So where did you wind up going from the book? Oh, well, there was lots of places. I went to school where my mom taught. Mm -hmm. I went to a public school in Wisconsin. That was kind of a bad segue, but needed to be part of my journey Mm -hmm. again. And then I ended up at this women's college, small women's college in the mountains of Virginia. Such a strange choice. But that experience, it's crazy. I meet this girl named Tiffany who becomes like my – total best friend. And we decide that we are going to go to Mexico the next semester with Hollins. That was the name of the school with Hollins. They had a program where you, you know, you register with Hollins and then you get sent to Mexico. And because I was going free, we landed in Mexico. It was January. I had just turned 21 in December and they handed me a stack of cash, like so many pesos. (laughs) Like I can't even describe because peso, you know, there's like at the time 10 pesos of the dollar. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it looked like I was like a drug dealer or something. We were like, I had it like under my sweatshirt, you know, <laughs> carrying it back to the dorms. Um, this is the promised but- land. <laughs> yes, yes. I still feel that way about Mexico. I freaking <laughs> love Mexico. But um, that that really so many things about that changed my life. It was such a good decision. And so from what I can remember, it sounds like being there and in that culture was something that really started your passion for Spanish and for the Mexican culture. So tell me a little bit more about what it was like being there and what really kind of made you fall in love with that. Yeah, there are really no words to describe. Like if I could think of a better place to be at 21, like that's it. Like there there are no words to describe how much I loved it. I loved the warmth of the culture. I loved the people. I still love the language. Like it's so beautiful. So many things. Like, and it's funny because I would have graduated like magna cum laude if it mm. wasn't for my time in Mexico because I didn't go to class that often <laughs> because I was having way too much fun. Um, Tiffany and I, like literally one of our first weekends in Mexico, were out at this little tiny bar in like a plaza with cobblestone streets mm. and like a fountain. Like, you know, what you kind of see – I mean, I don't even know that a lot of people know um, Central Mexico and how special it is. It feels more like Spanish. But we end up meeting this band. Mm. 
And like it's, I don't know, four in the morning or something at the time that the band like wraps up. And they were like, do you guys want to go for enchiladas? Okay. This is all in Espanol, by the way. (laughs) And we pack into their little mini tiny golf. You know, which if you have yes. seen a VW golf with like the drums, with the guitar, whatever. And like, I just think, like, oh my gosh. And that just like, I don't know, shifted my whole experience in Mexico. Yes. So much so that Tiffany and I, you know, the semester ends, we are heartbroken to leave. Oh, I can imagine. And oh my God, heartbroken to leave. And, but I like, I had to go home and earn money. And so we're like, okay, we split up. She goes back to Portland. I go back to Milwaukee get jobs and I'm like, no, dude, we need to go back. Like we right. need to go back. Um, but I really couldn't afford because even though Holland's was free tuition wise, I still had to pay for the housing. Oh, sure. And just living in general. Books. Yeah, exactly. So I find that we can register as Mexican students mm. for the biggest university in Mexico has like a foreign branch. Okay. It's two hundred and fifty dollars for 14 credits. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like my parents, like, during this time, were always just like, okay, whatever it is. Because I was just all over the place. Yeah. So, okay, free. Yeah, sure. Go. And Tiffany somehow convinces her dad okay. that she also needs to withdraw from Holland so we can register as Mexican students. Okay. And so we switch schools and move, like, up into the mountains. Oh, um and we show up with like these giant suitcases and no place to live. Oh gosh. <laughs> so you're really this is what they would call nowadays a full immersion experience. Oh so my gosh. It's a name oh for this gosh. now. You were ahead of your times. <laughs> oh my gosh. I literally love everything about this. And so then we end up finding like this little villa mm-hmm. that was also $250. And it came with a cleaning person wow. that came every day. And like it was just, it was so fun. And we would every weekend you know, get on a bus and go follow the band. Yes. And like it just the fun continued. And but to be honest, like even though I loved it and really this is what made me be like Spanish is where my heart is, I was ready to leave by the end of that semester. You know, living in a third world country, as much as I love it with all my heart, like there are things that are frustrating. The water runs out. There's like things take forever. You know, there's some of the things where like over time I was like, okay, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And so we came back. And at this point, I desperately wanted to go back to Holland's. I loved Holland's, but I had literally no money. In fact, at one point I put in my like ATM. I've gotten a letter, lot better with money, by the way, since this time. But I put in my like ATM card, which we used to call – what did we call it back then? I can't think of time. Time card. Into the machine and it said that I had a zero balance. Oh, and gosh. so like literally like my aunt, my dad, like people were having to wire me money because uh-huh. I'm so irresponsible. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was ready to come home. And I end up going then to my mom's university because I could live at home and finish school. Okay. And it was a really good place for me to be after that time in Mexico, to be honest. (laughs) Right. But at this point, you have 100% fallen in love with Spanish, with the Mexican culture, and you know that this is your spot. This, You know that this is what you want to finish your schoolwork in. But from what I remember, there was a counselor that you had that said something very pivotal to you. Yeah. It's funny because I'm still, again, I'm still this person that's kind of like, what am I going to do? And I'm interested in all these things. And I think now they call it like multi-passionate. Mm-hmm. 
I think back then you just called it like all over the place, <laughs> scattered. I don't know. But um, I was always going to the career counselor office and like taking like the Meyer Briggs test and being like, ooh, you know, what am I meant for? But I solidly loved Spanish and I felt very called that mm-hmm. that was where I should follow. And this career counselor there said to me, you will never get a job with an undergrad in just Spanish. Like you need to combine it with business. You need to combine it with education. You need to do something. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. And I was one of – there were three of us who graduated with Spanish that year, like 1999, going to party like it's Mm -hmm. 1999. Um, And I – but I still – I felt very strongly that despite what she said, that that was what I was going to graduate with. Yeah. And and thank goodness that you stuck with your intuition because we'll talk about in a little bit how you built a very successful company with that degree. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. It's such a good reminder to like stick to your guns and like drown out the sounds, yes, right? Exactly. Okay. So you graduate and what happens after that? Yeah. So actually it's crazy. So that era was like, I think the best year to graduate from college mm. in the history of our country or something. Mm. Speaking Spanish, I had always – I had worked like throughout this whole time I was in college because, again, poor, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm working. I had lots of jobs. I had an internship, you know, kind of through college. And even my senior year, I was on salary for a company because of my Spanish. And so when I graduate, I get a job working in international customer service as the Spanish-speaking person for a company, a water treatment company wow. in Milwaukee. And it's there that I end up meeting my best friend, Kim. And she was the French speaker of the company. And um, we had this like giant map of the world at our at our desks. And we would look at it every day and be like, oh my God, why are we in the cube? <laughs> like, why are we in the cube? We need to be oh, in the world. It had to be so in restrictive for you <laughs> in a cube. Yes. Yes. Although it was a really good job and that was a really fun era. We would have like every Wednesday we had like dinner party where we oh, would, fun. one person would cook and everybody came over and then Thursdays were free backup for the ladies. Like there was, <laughs> there was a lot of fun to be had yeah. that first year out of college, but but yes, I am a restless soul. I am a gypsy soul. Mm-hmm. I still am to this day. <laughs> um, so being at a cube every day, working like the nine to five, I definitely felt that, mm-hmm. like that pull to be like, can't sit still. What's next? Right, right. So you're looking at this map and mm-hmm. what does it inspire you to do? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I wanted nothing more than to move back to Mexico. Like that's what I wanted to do. That's where my heart was. That's where I wanted to go. But I had like, you know, in that time I was living in Mexico, racked up a ton of credit card debt. I had a car that I – it was my first car I ever had that I bought when I graduated college. So I had a car payment. And I just felt like I can't swing getting paid in pesos. (laughs) But – you know, I just can't. But Kim and um, another good friend of mine end up taking jobs at an English school in Mexico. And I find this job teaching kindergarten in Seoul, South Korea. And so um, I had kind of, I would say, a pretty new boyfriend at the time. And I basically said to him, like, hey, listen, like, I'm moving to Korea. (laughs) I mean, I don't really care if you come or not because I'm going. But, like, if you want to come, I mean, 
Sure. Okay. Come. That's that's kind of a, a big drop on somebody. I know. I know. But that's so my personality, yeah. right? So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going, like, take it or leave it. And he comes back and he's like, okay, I talked to my dad and my dad thinks I should follow my heart. And I think he'd, like, been to Cancun at this uh. point. Like, he had, you know, never really left the country. So we literally pack up two suitcases each and move to Seoul wow. to like a little apartment in the heart of Seoul, which is a crazy, huge, bustling city. Mm-hmm. And I start teaching kindergarten to seven of the cutest, most well-behaved kids you've ever seen in your entire life. I still adore them to this day. So yeah, it's just, yeah, life is strange. Wow. <laughs> so, so what were your expectations moving to you know, such a place so far away and and how were they different from anything you'd ever experienced before? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I think so many, there's so many layers to this. You know, one, I have this vision of like the people I had met traveling because at this point I had not only spent that year in Mexico, but I had also backpacked in Central America. And there's kind of this adventure traveler that you meet on experiences Mm -hmm. like that. And I pictured that that was who I was going to encounter in Korea. And I was going to be like, you know, I didn't drink coffee at the time. But like now I think like, oh, drink coffee and like talk about life and be like philosophical and whatever. And it's interesting because the people that come to teach English in a situation like that, not necessarily are like adventure travelers. A lot of them are there because, you know, they were leaving something hard in their lives. Or they were there because of the money. And so that was a unique kind of thing for me. But also the Mexican culture and in a lot of the Central American cultures too are the kind of cultures where like people are like, ay, mi casa es tu casa. And they, you know, wrap you into like the biggest, warmest hugs and they kiss you on the cheeks and whatever. And so – food um, and drink everywhere and – Yes. Music in the – Yes. 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 Music in the streets and all of those things. And the Korean culture was really shocking to me, to be honest. It was, you know, so much more formal, the bowing. That was really shocking for me. You know, I I had studied intercultural communications and truth – like there are warm cultures and there are cold mm. cultures. And the Northern Asian countries are classified under that category of cold cultures. Okay. And that was shocking to yeah. me. It was really shocking to me. I mean, the people that I met and befriended were so mm-hmm. kind. And the other thing that was super shocking to me was how much I did not love living in a big mm. city. I feel like I'm somebody that's kind of like an anxious, like high-strung mm-hmm. person. And so my environment is really important to me. To sort of live somewhere where I'm getting like jostled around and everything's crowded was just really not good for me psychologically. It just wasn't good for me. And I I think I mentioned this to you before, but I ended up getting really sick. Yes. Just like few months after I moved to Korea. And so that was hard too. It was just a really, really hard year. Like there are no words to describe how hard that year was for yes. me. Yes. And so it sounds like, you know – Overall, the conditions really took a toll on your health between, you know, what you were experiencing. So tell us a little bit more about physically what you were going through while you were adjusting to being so far away and, you know, having this new job. 
Yeah. So when we first got there, it was super fun. Like, you know, there was 37 teachers that taught at our school. We were having parties at our little mini apartment. They're the tiniest apartments you can't even fathom. (laughs) Um, But then right around Thanksgiving, I felt really sick. Like I was like, something is wrong with me. And we ended up going to the emergency room and I actually faint. It's the only time in my entire life Uh. I faint. In Korea, they don't have like generalists, everyone's a specialist. So I kept getting like pushed around to like, oh, it's, you know, it's a gynecological issue. No, it's like a urologist issue. It's, and I, they just kept moving me around and I- so frustrating. Yeah. And I just like, wasn't feeling good. There was like constantly, they would see like on my labs, blood in my urine, just couldn't really figure it out. I actually ended up like, well, I went to Vietnam that Christmas and there was apparently, cause a lot of the things kept leading back to like, there's something wrong with your kidneys. And I was in Vietnam at Christmas and they had said snake wine was the cure for like kidney disease. So I drank literal snake wine. Um, You know, like I was just so desperate, so desperate. Yeah. And then um, I had heard of an American doctor. So I took the day off work. I like spent an hour traveling the subways because it's such a huge city. And I get there and this doctor says to me, what you need is a new boyfriend. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've interviewed so many women um, in this time that I've had the podcast and that kind of dismissing of like something's wrong with me, I've heard again and again. It's such a theme with yes. women. And so that happened to me. Um, and so I make the decision that when my students graduate, because it's a little bit of a different school year than um, here in the U.S., my students were graduating that I loved so much and I was going to get a new class. And so I decide like I can't. Like I need to go do something to save myself because I'm in bad shape. So I um, resigned from the school and I fly to Mexico to see Ken yes. and Bear, my girlfriends that were living there. My mom came to visit me. I just was like, I needed to get my mojo back. Mm-hmm. And what was it like when you stepped off the plane and they saw you? Yeah. So Baird talks about how when she saw me, she was like, oh my gosh. Like we were like, is she going to make it? Like at this point I had dropped to 76 pounds. Um, I'm tiny, but like that's 20 pounds less than I weigh as an adult. So um, I was in bad shape. It was rough. But like I really did feel better in the sun with my people. And then again, I think, you know, the theme I feel like of my whole life has been like, you know, things kind of push you away from where you're not meant to be. And that's kind of what ended up happening. I go back to Korea and, you know, my boyfriend who had moved there, I had planned on going to grad school. I had gotten into this grad program in Boston and I was like – chatting with him about like blah, 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 Boston. And he just kept staring at me like hmm. doe-eyed. And I was like, okay, dude, you're what is happening? Like, are you not coming to Boston? And again, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I finally was like, listen, like I'm leaving then. I'm going to leave. And so I was literally like packing my suitcase. Like, do you see me packing wow. myself? Like I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Yeah. And um, I had actually signed a new contract at that point at a different school. And I just literally, I didn't even, I hate to say this because it's such bad like work ethic, but I worked there maybe like two weeks. I didn't even quit. I just got on a plane and I went home and I was jet lagged and I was flat broke and I was heartbroken, which is funny because I look back at that time and I'm like, I'm not, I think it was more my ego was bruised than I was like heartbroken. That was not who I was meant to be with. Let's just do that. But it was an adjustment. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if we do a quick assessment here, 
you know, you are still trying to get your health in order, you Mm -hmm. know, and then this person that followed you all the way to Korea lets you up and just walk away. You know, you, you had to leave and save yourself, but there's a lot of healing that needs to happen after that. Yeah. And there was a lot of things going on in my family that I needed to be home at that time. And to be honest, like, thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. to him because I needed to mm-hmm. leave. I needed to not be with him. And, and I love the fact that he ended up staying and he ended up marrying a woman from oh. Korea. And so I just think like yeah. life kind of puts you where you're meant to be. And he would have never gone to Korea if I wouldn't have been like, hey, I'm going to Korea. Right? So him and I joke like he met me only for me to bring him right. there. And so if that's like, yeah, like, okay, great. But I did come home and I quickly, I am somebody that, again, I'm a scrappy person. I quickly figure out what is wrong with me. I get my health back. I get a job. Like I, well, I, I, for a short while I was paying my sister Maddie a dollar a day to sleep (laughs) in her bed because, you know, at this point my mom has now had another baby and there are no rooms left (laughs) for me at the end. Let's just say that. But I end up getting an apartment. Like everything starts kind of clicking into place. And so the purpose maybe of that boyfriend was that he needed to get you back home because when you go to your next job, because you go to a presentation at your new job and you mention that there is a presenter and you describe him as uncomfortably good looking. Yes. Disarmingly good looking. Yes. Like, whoa, those eyes. Yeah. And that ended up that wow. is my husband. Wow. No. Um, so yeah. And um, so yeah, that was that ended up being a pivotal time for me, you know, meeting him. But then also I got a really great job working in international using my Spanish. I was working, my territory was the Caribbean and Central oh. America. So kind of fed my gypsy soul that once a month I was like going to a different country, you know, getting to be part of the culture and the food and the people and all of the yes. things. So a lot of good things about that yes. for me. Yes. So you're working your job at Orbis. And while you're mm-hmm. doing that, again, multitasking, there's something else that you start doing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is crazy. I literally wake up in the middle of the night. I'm not even kidding. With this most clear, like, God-sent vision that I was meant to start a Spanish school. Wow. And, you know, again, the gratitude of my time in Korea was that I saw how those kids could speak, like, three languages. And I'm like, we're making – like a huge disservice to our kids here by not introducing language until middle and high school. Mm-hmm. So I had rented like a little tiny room in um, downtown Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and had this little Spanish school that I started kind of alongside, you know, me working on my career in international. Wow. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's just like a tiny little school. I'm doing it like after work and on mm-hmm. the weekends. And then um, I get a call from a mom and she's like, listen, I saw your ad. Like I had like a little ad in a parent magazine, like old yes, like, yes. magazine. And she was like, but it's just not convenient for us. Like, is there any way that you can come to our school? And I was like, uh, uh, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this mom ends up like putting out wow. flyers to – she cre- even creates the flyers and 86 kids register oh, for the Oh, my gosh. Class. 
And I was like, holy, <laughs> oh my gosh. Because I have a full-time job, a full-time job that's taking yes. me out of the country. And so I end up like putting an ad in the newspaper for mm-hmm. teachers and I, you know, hire teachers and um, like one of the girls I have like write some curriculum oh that these kids are going to do. So simultaneously, this company is growing. I end up shutting the like actual physical building and just like copying this model of being wow. at the schools. And yeah, it's just going kind of gangbusters and so much so that I end up hiring somebody full time okay. to basically – manage all the teachers and do all the things while I'm working on my international career. You can't do both at this right. point. Right. It's raining yes. down on you like in a the most awesome way. <laughs> in the most awesome way. Correct. Yes. Yes. So then um, we talked about this in my episode. You got a promotion, quote unquote. So quote, unquote, being the operative word right there. Oh my gosh. So like they decide, I, I honestly, I hate to say this, but I think it was really like, we don't need a girl in this position. And to be honest, I, I wasn't that good at that job. Like I was in that job because of the Spanish <laughs> and the countries and whatever, but like, I know nothing about plastics. Like I, I like, I, I hold no, like, I don't feel bad at all that they were like, we'll give you this quote unquote promotion <laughs> to sell plastic sheets to Hormel. And so what a pivotal, again, like that push out the door that I needed because I'm like, I would talk to the girl that was working full time for me. Her name was Nancy. And Nancy would be like, oh, I was at the gym and I did this. And I'm like, okay, why am I paying her a salary to do my dream job? Oh, I end up like cashing in my very meager 401k and I do the math and I figure I can pay three months of my expenses. And so I'm like, I am all in for these okay. three months to try to get this business off the ground. And sus- I mean, it was it was like clipping along, but now I needed it to right. pay me full time and I had to get like insurance mm-hmm. for myself and because I wasn't married mm-hmm. at the time. So yeah, again, like that big push in the, in the right direction. And with that push, your mantra, which has kind of guided your future endeavors was born. And so tell us about that mantra. Yes. And this is something that I think like, everyone should adopt. And that's like when you're faced with something and you're afraid or you don't want to take the leap to say like, what's the worst that could happen? And then once you answer that, then say, then what? So for me, what's the worst that could happen? Well, your business could fail. Well, then what? Then you start another business or you go back to work. Um, And then the leap doesn't feel so scary because the then what isn't all that bad, right? Like everything is, Marie Forleo says, figure outable. And I think it's so true. Like, Everything is figureoutable. And so I was like, okay, I'm going for I it. I love that so much. And since you shared that with me, I referred to it a number of times for my own personal and professional life. I just, I love that. So excellent. Oh my gosh, I love that you yes. are using it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's awesome. So now Futura is your 100% professional effort. Yeah. I can't even describe the love I had for that company. I mean, I grew it from a $500 loan to ultimately a seven-figure business with, you know, over 100 employees. And I mean, love, like, just – there are no words to describe. Like, I would wake up on a Monday literally pumped Uh. to get to my desk. And I had – 
this staff that worked with me, the leadership team that was like my family, it was where I was 100% meant to be. Like I loved everything about it. Amazing. And so you're having this great professional growth. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the growth that's happening in your personal life. Yeah. So in the middle of this time, Andy and I end up getting married in Mexico. Um, I tried to have as like traditional of a Mexican wedding as I could as a non-Mexican. In fact, my friends used to joke with me that they were going to make me t-shirts that said, I'm not Mexican, but I wish I was. (laughs) I love it. We had like mariachis and like a salsa instructor and it was dreamy, um, so fun. And then, you know, ends up having two kids at, at the point where like I, I decided I want to try something new again. We have two kids and Andy's like traveling like crazy for his job. Yes. And how far apart are your first two boys? Literally 24 months. Like their two, their birthdays are two days apart. And that's a lot. I have the same situation. <laughs> yeah. It's a world. Like I barely, I hate to say this, I barely remember Colby being a baby because I had like, that's how I'm like, it was just, and I'm running the business. It was And crazy. we're not even talking yes. about number yes. three yet. <laughs> I was just talking about the first right. one. Number three at this point is not even like a thought, anything. We're just like survival mode, right? Yes. Okay. So as you mentioned, Andy's traveling. What happens on the side? Yeah. So I am like, oh my gosh, how can I – because I've always really cared about being healthy and like, you know, looking good. You know, I hate to say it. Like I don't want to be vain, but the truth is like I wanted to look good. I wanted to feel healthy and I'm like scrambling. I have this business. I have these two kids. Andy's not home. So I decide that I want to like come up with these quick Mm -hmm. healthy dinners. So I started a blog called Skinny Mommy and that's what it was. It was like quick healthy dinner and then it would have like a caveat and like here's how to adapt it for your kids. So like Mm -hmm. deconstruct it or whatever. And my blog really kind of took off. It was totally just like a hobby on the side, whatever. And then I see this ad in the newspaper and the ad is – that they're looking for the next hottest kitchen entrepreneur. And I was like, well, I'm hot. And I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's not what they meant. Um, But I decide that this sauce that I had created, that I was going to submit it to this contest. And I called the sauce Superfood Italian, and it was an organic kale-based, which I know sounds not good, but it was so good. amazing. Yes. And you could mix it in with pasta or like serve it with shrimp or chicken. Like it just made everything amazing. So I decide, heck, I'm going to apply for this. And I send in my idea. Like again, this is like physical newspaper. I physically send in my little idea, my Mm -hmm. recipe, whatever. They end up calling me. And this is just crazy because – Like we were on a family vacation in South Carolina over the time of the contest and I like flew home by myself and it was on TV. So like my family all gathered around like watching it. I remember this is about the time that we connected, reconnected and and with social media. Yes. Oh my gosh. I remember being so excited about this. Yes. And there was like a James Beard like nominee that was one of the judges. And two of my friends from my Spanish business came and they were my sous chefs. And I got like all these little fancy white plates. And and I ended up winning, which is just absolutely crazy. And a whirlwind started of me like, you know, 
getting the, into seven wow. grocery stores and being interviewed by all the news channels. And then I kind of got like a little segment on this morning show where I would come in and cook. They called yes. me the skinny mommy and I would come in and cook things. And so I had to go to Lindsay, who was my director at the time, and be like, listen, I got to kind of take a step back from the day to day because I am have now right. this new business. And so that also kind of shifted the way that I was running my business. And I think so important because, you know, any entrepreneur who's successful will tell you that your business should be set up in a way that they don't – it doesn't need you. And starting the the food business allowed me to do that. Like it pushed me Mm -hmm. to do that, to make all the structures in place so I didn't need Mm -hmm. to be there every day. So yeah, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. But – There was something a little bit different about having a product-based business versus a service-based business. And so tell us about the difference in that and how it impacted your family life. Yeah. it's. I mean, Laura, it's such an interesting thing. It was really successful. Mm -hmm. And I think if I would have stuck with it, it would have been successful. The blog Mm -hmm. too, like without a lot of effort, was really Mm -hmm. successful. But I think I realized, one, the food was my hobby. And doing that, actually, food is no longer my hobby. Um, And I think a lot of people find that when they take a hobby and they try to make it a career that it kind of ruins it for them. And that happened to me just like with my love of cooking and everything. I mean, not to mention that like having all these little kids. Right, right, right. We're always (laughs) hungry. um, How do you keep them fat? And like they don't want to eat. They don't want to eat like my fancy dinner. <laughs> I will. Anytime you want to cook yes, for me, yes. I'll be there. <laughs> oh my god! I don't even know if I remember how to cook like that. It's funny. I'm like a totally different person. It's like who was that skinny mommy? I'm not her. But also, you know, even though it was like quickly in these grocery stores, I was like having to go on a Saturday morning and stand there and like yeah. hand out samples. And the whole point of me coming up with this sauce is so that I had more time to not be cooking and stuff. So kind of defeated the purpose. And I had to just be like, something's got to give. And if I think truly what my calling is and where I'm meant to be, it's with my Spanish school. And so as hard as it was to like take something Mm. that was booming and be like, I can't do this anymore, I had to make that decision. And I don't regret it. It was such a cool experience. It showed me like even more how much Milwaukee is amazing because so many people rallied to help me like without getting paid, just on their own like goodwill, Um, all these professional food entrepreneurs. So there's so many great things that happen with that, but I needed to step away. And so I sold it and focused then on continuing to grow my Mm -hmm. Spanish school. And Andy and I then welcomed our third son. And so really, I mean, thank God, because I I could barely manage with the right. two boys and his travel and the business on the side. Yes. So um, it was good that I was just focused yes, on Yes, absolutely. School. And so, again, you talk about, you know, the community in Wisconsin and your deep love of Wisconsin, but we know that that's not where you are right now. So tell us a little bit about how you wound up in Charlotte. Yeah. Um. Again, like that's an interesting way of like pushing you, right? So Andy had a job working in Charlotte and, you know, they had told him when he took the job that he didn't need to move, but it just was becoming like 
more and more clear that he really needed to be there. He was like the only executive not in the office. And so for two years, kind of, we had an inkling we were going to move. So we would come down here and we looked at neighborhoods and we looked at houses. And I really didn't want to leave Wisconsin. My life was super good in Wisconsin. My community was there. My family was there. My best friends, like so many great things. But if I was going to move anywhere – the Carolinas felt like home to me because of my family coming down right. here since I was a little girl. And Andy and I would always kind of add on like a few days in a different city in North mm-hmm. or South Carolina. So it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, obviously the pandemic hits and my business has to like pivot yes. and go virtual. And I I mean, I was working like I was working when oh I first started the business, 12 to 14 hour days. I mean, my kids, I would literally just be like, I emailed the teachers. I can't do anything. I'm trying to save my business. I would shut my yes. office door and work and work and work. And oh. so was my whole team. It was so stressful. And then at the same time, we're trying oh to buy gosh. a house. And <laughs> so May of 2020, we end up closing on a house in South Carolina. So we're wow. right over the border. Yeah. When Andy came down to look at the house, I never even saw the house <laughs> till we closed on it. He was one of he was one of two people oh on the plane. Gosh. Yeah. So bizarre. So we end up um I we wanted to spend like another summer in Wisconsin because anybody that has been to the Midwest in summer knows there's no better place on the planet yes. to be in the summer. And we had this little place on a lake. And so we decided to spend one more summer. And so we moved like right after 4th of July down here. And it was really my plan to run my business remote. I had worked from home for the whole time that I owned my business. And so had my staff and our teachers were on site at the school. So it was like logistically felt like it was going to work. But that's not what happened. And that's not what could have stayed happening. You know, once I got down here and I saw the need that my kids had for me to get them kind of like set up and secure. And then also my littlest guy was done with school 140. Like I can't quit working at lunchtime, you know, in central time. And so I – Right, because there's a time difference there too. Yeah, we're in Eastern time. So I made honestly one of the biggest – life changes to date for me. And that was to sell my business, my business that I loved and and nurtured and grew from nothing for 19 years, like my entire adult life almost. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So you're in this new place and you've sold your business, which was your baby for 19 years. And You sit here with this, essentially this blank canvas in front of you, and it seems like so common with the rest of us, there's so many emotions that go along with that. What are some of those emotions? Yeah. Well, first of all, I had sold my business to my director who had worked for me for 14 years. So I at least knew my legacy was going to continue on. The legacy of my business, that meant mm-hmm. so much to me. Um, and, that, and that future yes. was going to be in good hands. So that was great. And at first, I was like pumped. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you should have seen. I was like every day on a field trip <laughs> like with myself or with my kids. Like, 
here I am checking out this. I was like, and the living down here is oh, a lot my like gosh. a in a lot of ways. Yeah, I saw a photo <laughs> of your backyard and I think your kids were, it was yeah. their first day of school and I commented, I would have a really hard time leaving that backyard to go to school. <laughs> so yes, beautiful. Yes, so they're... Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So it was like at first like, oh my gosh, so fun. And then I would say maybe like six months in, I literally can't even describe the the just black cloud that settled over me. I had tied my identity and my self-worth and all the things so much in my mm-hmm. career. Like when people ask me what I did, I was so proud. I was like, I run this Spanish school with all these employees and like making a difference and you know, all the things and all of a sudden, I'm like, no, I don't know who I am anymore. And when people would ask me what I did, my answer would always be, well, I used to. This is what I used to do. And like I even had this horrible thought where I was like, well, if I die soon, then like my legacy is still recent. Like otherwise, my legacy just gets further away and like I have nothing left. There's nothing left. And you know, I I had never been a stay-at-home mom. I had never had any intentions mm-hmm. to be a stay-at-home mom. And so, like, that was really hard for me. Like, the, you know, just driving my kids and, you know, and I know, like, it's such an important thing to be a mom. And I had been, actually, I think, a better mom when I worked full-time because my life had mm-hmm. a lot of balance. And I just, frankly, like, I mean, to be honest, I felt like I was in the middle of a midlife crisis because I just didn't know what, where right. to turn, what to do, right. what was next for right. me. Right, right. I think so many of us identify with that in the what is next. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just have to say that when you put the opportunity out there to flip the mic and to ask you questions about your life, One of the very first things that I wondered was, how in the world does she go from having a Spanish business to having this skinny mommy thing to like moving across the country practically to like, you know, flipping a condo? Like what in the world? So I was so excited to flip the mic on you and Find out the answers and get your story. So I so appreciate you sharing all of this with us. And I have to say, when I take a step back, I see the beautiful, beautiful picture that is your life and that you are a cultivator and you are a curator and that you have this wonderful ability to take things and leave them so much better and so much more beautiful than the way that you ever found them. And you've done it time and time again. And an example of that Right now, you feel like you are in this pause, but yet you have taken the opportunity to start this podcast and find these stories. And everyone who listens to these stories is better off after we hear them because there are so many topics that we hear that nobody ever wants to talk about. And you are leaving us better than before we listen to them. And so behalf on like, Everyone who's listening, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this for us. 
you're amazing and um, you're really making a difference. So thank you. Oh my gosh, Laura, I'm like in tears. Like I need you to like say, remind me of that every I day. Will. I will. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's been interesting, you know, like going from this moment of being like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then like you said, so many women are in that place. So I started Mm -hmm. talking to more women and I couldn't believe how many women were like, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel too. I think that we're at this point in our lives where like so much of our lives are gone, but there's still a lot left. And so it's like, well, is this it? And like, is there still room for me? Is there still Mm -hmm. time for me? I don't want to live with regrets. And so I just felt like my gosh, like we have Mm -hmm. to seize this time. We have to make the most of it. And I was talking to my friend Shannon and I was like, I have this idea for a podcast. And she was like, there's so many topics. Like you have to do it. So, you know, I, I hit record in March on this podcast and there's usually not a week that goes by that multiple people don't write me a message to say something about the podcast. And so even though I'm not making any money from this podcast, I feel like it's it's -hmm. filled a void for me. And I really am so grateful that people listen. They listen in every week. Like that's that's incredible. And I feel like midlife women need a community and I foresee more community being built. I just – I haven't quite figured it out yet, but like you heard from my long winding like multiple past stories, like I feel like it will appear. The path will appear. I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life is that you have to just start moving. You have to start moving in a direction because I think our – our greatest problem is that we become paralyzed. And especially as women, we like make lists of like pros and cons and blah, blah, blah. Whereas I think sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to start. And as you heard from a lot of my story, a lot of my starts mm-hmm. was a start and stop. Like it was a it was what you would call a quote unquote mistake, but those mistakes led to such beautiful things in my life. They were right. meant to happen in my path. And so, you know, if anyone listening is feeling stuck, I would just encourage yes. you to try something do something, walk in a direction. And even if it's not the right direction, you're going to learn from it. And that's the lesson that I've very much taken from my gypsy soul, multi-passionate life. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, you're giving us, by having these conversations, you're giving us the tools to navigate our way. And that is so priceless. And again, you are leaving us better than the way you're finding us. So thank you. Oh, you are so sweet. And you're, uh, you, I, like I said to you after your episode, you are meant to be behind a microphone. So I foresee some public speaking in your future. But thank you so much for taking time out of your own busy life to interview me and for people that are listening to kind of hear the back crazy story of my life. <laughs> so fun. Oh my gosh. So fun. It was so fun. What a great way to start my day with coffee and a little bit of Laura. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. So fun. And thanks to all of you for tuning in every week. It means the world to me. And if you like the podcast, can you tell a friend about it or give it a rating or review Often you send me a DM or a text, which is amazing, but if you can take those words and put them into your podcast platform and give a review, that helps more women find the podcast. 
And the more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. Have a beautiful day, my friends, and just get started. Thank you. 